Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. <laughs> what is that? That's from uh, that Travis Scott album. It's with featuring um, <laughs> Quavo. 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 <laughs> Amazing. They enunciate the C cup. That's like in a way that I can't. C cup. C cup. She got C cup. D cup breasts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Women of Death Row podcast. Hi, everybody. We're recording that whole thing. Oh, shit. <sighs> I'm Amanda. I'm Marielle. We're going to tell you some fucked up stories about yeah. women who have been sentenced to death. Anything from last time? I don't think so. No. Oh, I'm never going to do like a history timeline again. I thought it was pretty cool. It was hard. So never again will I. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> in case you don't already know, the fucking Kansas City Chiefs oh. are in the Super Bowl, y'all. Uh, man, it it's so good. weird. It's been 50 years. Fuck. Our father was in Vietnam. Yeah. And he'll be turning how old on Super Bowl Sunday? I don't know. 69? 69? Maybe. I don't know mm, how old he is. Shit. Oops. <laughs> I don't age doesn't fucking matter. And no. Uh, once you're over 18. <laughs> oh, God. That could Very spiral. important. That's very important. But yeah, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. It's been an exciting time to be in Kansas City. Um, yes. Everyone's just... In a really good mood. I know. It's such a... Even though it's shitty outside, it's still like... There's hope. There's hope. Yeah. Yeah. And they're favored to win. I know. It's, I kind of... I have a theory that the game was fixed. Uh, yeah, I do too. I feel like... Mm, yeah. Don't um, tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's between us. But anyway... Um, and it's in fucking Miami. Oh, Jennifer shit. Lopez, our mom, is performing. Yep. So... I'm yeah. going to assist her. Mm-hmm. I, I told her that I can't help with background dancing this time. <laughs> I will help carry wardrobe, and that is all. Yeah. Shakira asked me for some tips. <laughs> I couldn't even get it out. <laughs> tips for your hip. Because the hips don't lie. Yes. <laughs> Hit them hips roll. Oh, man. Wow. Digressions. Okay. So. so boop, boop. Who went? You went first. I did. Should I go? You're super, like, fuck, because like, you're a child victim. I feel like that's... Yes. Okay, so um, you should go first. Yes, I don't and... know, mine's fucked up, but children deaths are just... They're just. Well, mine's does not result in a child's <laughs> death, but I will be citing childhood abuse of who I, whom I will be sharing about. You, you go, go first. Okay. Right. My sources came from Wikipedia and Nick Bloomfield's documentary. I'm going to do this sort of backwards because I kind of want to end on a specific note. Um, I don't know what it is like about this particular person or this particular case, but I, like the whole time you just feel so sad. And not that you don't feel sad for any of the other people, regardless of their context of the story, 
you just feel sad for ultimately everybody. It's a very sad topic and a lot of hurt goes into it. So even though that happened, this person did take the lives of she was convicted of six first counts of first degree murder, oh, received shit. six death sentences. They didn't find one body, but she's responsible for the death of seven people. So without that's just a long intro to say like this one has been like this is one of my main true crime stories that I've known about like since I was a young kid. So Eileen Warnos. Oh, uh, oh whoa. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like I remember watching her movie with yeah. Charlize Theron and Christina Ritchie like right when it came out and I was like 13. Just yeah, super interested in this case. Head. Yes, which there's this weird coincidence between me and this case. Why I think I know why it stuck with me so much. So, I'll get there. That was just a really long-winded way to say it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a I wonder story. if anyone guessed before you said her name. Because I was like, wait, did she already say her name and I missed it? I was no. like, I don't want to ask. I was like, I'll catch on. <laughs> no. So, Eileen Warnos. I've also heard it pronounced Aileen. Spelled A-I-L-E-E-N. Aileen Warnos. Um, she was named America's first serial killer. Female serial killer, sorry. Mm-hmm. She was named America's first female serial killer. Eileen was convicted of six counts of first-degree murder and received six death sentences for those murders. The murders were committed within a 12-month time frame in the state of Florida, where there's a big question mark on Florida laws because it seems to be like a lot of shit happening there. Richard Charles Mallory, age 51, November 30th, 1989. Um, He owned an electronics store in Clearwater, Florida. What's significant about Clearwater, Florida? Scientology. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Part? No, I not at all. Say. No. Whenever I see Clearwater, Florida, I just automatically go to Scientology and then automatically goes to like, where's Shelly Miscavige? God damn it. Save her. That's a question I have every single day when I wake up. Anyway. Day when you wake up. I believe that. <laughs> where was I? Victim number one, Richard Charles Mallory. He was a convicted rapist whom Eileen claimed she killed him in self-defense. And I believe that. 100%. Two days later, a Volusia, a Volusia County deputy found Mallory's abandoned be- vehicle vehicle <laughs> on December 13th. <laughs> Cuban's coming out. Vehicle. <laughs> His vehicle. His body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times. Two bullets to the left lung were found to have been the cause of death. David Andrew Spears, age 47, construction worker in Winter Garden, Florida. On June 1st, 1990, his naked body was found along U.S. Route 19 in Florida in Citrus County. He had been shot six times. Charles Edmund Carskadden, age 40, May 31st, 1990, was when he was killed. His body was found June 6th, 1990 in Pasco County. He'd been shot eight times with a 20 caliber weapon. His body was wrapped in an electric blanket and it was badly decomposed when it was found. Shit. Yep. Witnesses said they saw Eileen in possession of his car and that she had also pawned a gun identified as his to belong to him. She was a little messy. Peter Abraham Seams, age 65, his car was found on July 4th, 1990 in Orange Springs, Florida. Eileen and an accomplice was seen abandoning the car, and Eileen's palm print was found in the inside handle. His body was never found, so she would never be convicted of his murder. Troy Eugene Burris, age 50, he was reported missing on July 31st, 1990. 
His body was found August 4th, 1990 in a wooded area alongside State Road 19 in Marion County. He was shot twice. Charles Humphreys, age 56, he was found fully clothed and had been shot six times in the head and torso. And his car was found in uh, another county. I see. Walter Gino Antonio, age 62, his body was found November 19, 1990, um, near a remote lodging road in Dixie County. He'd been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County. Just to give some context, like around the early months of 1986, before Eileen did all the the murders, she meets Tyra Moore, who played by Christina Ritchie. Big fan. Yes. She met her at a gay bar in Daytona Beach. They moved in together and Eileen supported them with the money she earned um, doing sex work. All right. Was she also robbing these men she was murdering or did the police suspect robbery was happening or whatever yeah she wasn't charged with robbery it was all just first degree murder but yeah she was you know robbing them Mm -hmm. and taking their all right still going backwards on july 4th 1990 eileen and tyra abandoned victim number four peter seam's car after they crashed it witnesses who saw them with the car provided their names and descriptions to the police A media campaign with their information began looking for Eileen and Tyra. So I think they were on like America's Most Wanted and shit. Items belonging to Peter Simon and other victims were found in the abandoned car along with Eileen's fingerprints. So since she had a history of criminal activity before Florida, which I'll get to. Got her on record. She's on record. On January 9th, 1991, Eileen was arrested for an outstanding warrant at the Last Resort Biker Bar in Volusia County, Florida. Police located Tyra in Scranton, Pennsylvania. In exchange for immunity, Mm -hmm. Tyra agreed to attempt to elicit a confession from Eileen. So with like the help of the police, they got her motel room, they called, and then over several phone calls, um, eventually leading to January 16th, 1991, when Eileen confessed to the murder, citing that she killed them in self-defense because they were they tried to rape her, mm-hmm. which I 100% believe, you know, yeah. just because you work, you're a sex worker doesn't eliminate the risk, you know. Right, and she was a high risk High risk. Like truck stops and shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I believe her, you know, maybe there's a lot of things that can go down where you can eliminate the business transaction. You don't you don't have to have a reason. You can eliminate it for any reason. And who knows? Maybe someone got pissed off. But I feel like maybe she was hitchhiking. Yeah. Couldn't have even been about that. But But it's like no one's really listening to her, but I'll get to it. On January 14th. 1992, the trial for murder victim number one, Richard Mallory, began. And so typically with criminal convictions, previous convictions are inadmissible in those criminal cases with a jury trial. But Mm. Florida has a law called Williams Rule, which was a case in 1959 that ruled that relevant evidence of a collateral crime is admissible in a jury trial when it does not, quote, prove the, quote, criminal propensity of the defendant, but that relevant evidence is used as motive or intent. Mm. I just think that's still kind of like sways people in a biased direction. Like, I don't know, gives gives you more to damage their character. Yeah, of course. So Eileen's previous crimes were admitted as evidence and they were used to show a pattern of her illegal activity throughout her life. On January 27, 1992, Eileen was convicted of Robert Mallory's murder. 
This was the conviction that was aided by Tyra's testimony. She got immunity. During the sentencing hearing, Eileen's psychiatrist for the defense testified that Eileen was, quote, mentally unstable and was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Eileen would be sentenced to death for the murder of Robert Mallory. And in the documentary, Nick Bloomfield's documentary, The Life and Death of Eileen Warnos, I'm pretty sure is what it called, mm-hmm. what it's called. She was like crying and so showing emotion. It just like seeing she that. She was. She was. Seeing that body language was like, I don't know, I could just kind of tell she had been through a lot. And then also typically there, a common theme with borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder is childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Which, as I will share with you in a couple minutes, some detail about that. Yikes. Stay tuned. Like, you have any choice of where to go right now? <laughs> On March 31st, 1992, Eileen pleaded no contest to the murders of Charles Humphreys, Troy Burris, and David Spears. At the trial, she pleaded that she, quote, wanted to get right with God. In her statement to the court, she also said, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me as I've told you, but these others did not. They only began to start to. And to say, and to that I say, like, you know, I 100% believe her. I do too. (laughs) It's not uncommon for this to happen to sex workers either. 100%. On May 15th, 1992, she was given three more death sentences. Fuck. In June 1992, Eileen pleaded guilty to the murder of Charles Karsketten. Oh, in November 1992, oh. your birth month and year, oh, wow. she received her fifth death sentence. Damn. D- the defense made efforts during the trial to introduce evidence that Robert Mallory, um, victim number one, had been tried for intent to commit rape in Maryland and that he had been committed to a maximum security correctional facility that provided remediation for sex offenders. Bingo. So red flags. Yeah. So for this trial, her the defense requested records from that institution from 1958 to 1962. And it confirmed that he was committed for treatment and observation resulting from a criminal charge of assault with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment. And in 1961, it was observed that he possessed strong sociopathic trends. The judge refused to allow all that in court, though. Damn. And denied Eileen's request for a retrial. Why did he deny it? In February 1993, Eileen pleaded guilty to the murder of Walter Antonio and was sentenced to death again. At this final death sentence, she becomes really vocal. And then in the documentary, like her demeanor completely changes from one to number six. It's like this anger is like spilling out of her and she's just like, like she's about to bust. It's like just... A complete 180 from the first yeah, death sentence. Well, what has she got to lose? Fuck. Yeah. Well, and it's like this kind of glaze go- was like kind of over her that it's just like it, it was interesting. Could have been to any I think of she her was just angry. Illness plus 100%. situational yeah. triggers. 100%. No charges were brought against her for the murder of victim number five. That the one who had no seems, body found? Yeah. But in total, she got six death sentences. So Eileen apparently was giving really inconsistent stories about all the murders. She claimed initially that all seven men had raped her or attempted to rape her Mm -hmm. while she was hired to work. But later she recanted that the claim of self-defense, citing that robbery and a desire to like leave no witnesses was the reason for her 
murdering them. What? Yeah. I'd- she went back and forth. So that just tells me that, like, mentally she's declining, too. Yeah. I didn't read much about her defense team, but right. I know that she had one. So as we've learned, though, when someone's on death row, you're they're in the cell 23 hours a day alone, maybe getting an hour of rec time a few times a week. And even then you're in a cage secluded yeah. from anybody else. God. You're outside, but you're in a fucking cage. During an interview with um, Nick Broomfield, you know, when Eileen thought the cameras were off, she was like whispering to him like, hey, I have a secret, you know, and she told them it was actually self-defense. I just hate being on death row and I want to die. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She at that point, she had been on death row for 10 years. So Nick uh, Broomfield's amazing. Like he got he gets a lot of amazing quotes out of people. And I think this documentary did a good job of like showing her decline in a way. I think he tried to humanize her as much as possible. And only two people in her life story that I can think of did that. Her childhood friend and Nick Broomfield. And it's like no one else humanized her. And that's no way to like excuse like what she did. But, Mm. you know, she's a human being. It like helps you understand. Yeah. It gives. I mean, I think context matters. Yeah. Eileen was incarcerated at the Florida Department of Corrections, Broward Correctional Institution, so BCI, death row for women. Then she was transferred to Florida State Prison for the execution. So her appeal in 1996 was denied by the Supreme Court. And in 2001, a petition to the Florida Supreme Court, she stated that her intention to dismiss her legal counsel and terminate all pending appeals. So... It's like she's given up at this point. Mm -hmm. She said, I killed those men, robbed them as cold as ice, and I'd do it again, too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I am so sick of hearing this she crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. While her attorneys argued that she wasn't mentally competent to make, you know, a request to dismiss them, psychiatrists and Eileen insisted that she knew what she was doing and a panel of psychiatrists who evaluated her for like maybe 20 minutes all agreed. So, you know, psych evals, good ones, are like hours long and you you, you go through like a battery of different assessments like on paper and word of mouth and like they ask you questions. That lasts like two hours. So when I read Eileen's quotes from court and then I see her in the documentary, like her body language and stuff, especially knowing what she experienced in her youth, you can like see she's hurting and that she experienced like something really painful. And then she continues to decline. In 2002, Eileen began accusing prison guards of tainting her food with dirt, saliva and urine. Oh, my God. She said she had overheard conversations among prison personnel trying to, quote, Trying to get me so pushed over the brink by them, I wind up committing suicide before the execution. Shit. And, quote, wishing to rape me before execution. Eileen mm-hmm. also complained of strip searches, tight handcuffing, door kicking, frequent window checks, low water pressure, mildew on her mattress, and catcalling. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. And she said it was all a distaste and pure hatred towards me. She threatened to boycott showers and protest food trays when certain officers were on duty. She said, in the meantime, my stomach's growling and I'm taking showers to the sink of my cell. 
Her attorney said that Eileen really just wants to be like treated like a human, give proper treatment while she's on death row. Wow. Be, right? Who, who knows? That's Duh. so much to ask for. Yeah. So, you know, he added, she believes what she's written. And, you know, considering what we know about the inhumanity surrounding the whole criminal justice system and like in Kansas City, Jackson County Jail is like notoriously horrendous. I believe some of the stuff she was saying, but also she could be like I could assess her as like she's declining and like really, really paranoid and having a lot of delusions that are like paranoid themed. Yeah. So it could have been both. Um, She was declining at a pace, you know, and it, it intensified as her towards execution got closer so in the in weeks before her execution eileen did a bunch more interviews with nick broomfield she said quote being taken away to meet god and jesus and the angels and whatever it is beyond the beyond in her final interview she once again reported that her mind was quote-unquote tortured at bci and her head was crushed by quote sonic pressure and I also think that she mentioned that the guards were responsible for the sonic pressure. Mm. She said food poisoning and other abuses worsened. She said each time she complained with the goal of making her appear insane or drive her insane. So she felt like there was some intention like behind that stuff to make it seem yeah. like she was crazy. And then at the end, she turned on Nick. So if she, she's known him since 1993 when she first entered prison. He was like at all her hearings and stuff. Yeah. She said, quote, you sabotaged my ass. Society and the cops in the system. A raped woman got executed and was used for books and movies and shit. Her final on-camera words were, thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. <laughs> Damn. Which she's got a point. For real. Facts. Don Botkins is Eileen's childhood friend and really the only person that like humanized her along with nick broomfield mm. she kept all of eileen's stuff has it kept in her garage uh, at, like everything like didn't get rid of anything like eileen's childhood drawings a bunch of her kids stuff oh yeah she told nick broomfield that eileen's verbal abuse was not was directed at society and not nick <laughs> <laughs> so eileen's execution took place on october 9th 2002 Oh, so it was my twelfth birthday. I knew that birthday. I didn't want to say it in the beginning. <laughs> yep, my twelfth birthday, which I think is the connection of why I connected so much with this mm-hmm. case. This was like my first true crime case. Yeah. That and Lacey Peterson. Yeah, and then the movie about. came out shortly after. Yeah, and I was like, I saw it as soon as it came out. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. we were pretty young. Oh yeah, too young. We saw Titanic when it first came out. We were seven and five, and then hitchhiked. We hitchhiked. Remember to the car? It was really cold. We all got in a van. Was it a van or was it a golf cart? I thought it was a van. I don't remember. And got a ride to the car. Wow. Mm -hmm. We're miracles. (laughs) So Eileen Warnos was executed at 947 a.m. She declined her last meal and only opted for a cup of coffee. Her last words were, yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. She was... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's interesting. She was the 10th woman in the United States and the second in Florida to be executed since 1976 when capital punishment was restored. Yeah. So, remember when I said I was going backwards? Uh-huh. I kept the really heavy stuff for last. Yeah. So... This is really sad. And as I was writing it, I was like starting to cry because I 
I work with kids and this is pretty similar to the stuff that I kind of care about and it doesn't get easier. And it's just to think that. So Eileen was born Eileen Carol Pittman, February 29th, 1956 in Troy, Michigan. Her mom was 14 when she married her dad, who was 16. Her parents divorced four months before she was born and after less than two years of marriage. She never met her dad. He was incarcerated when she was born and was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he was later convicted of sex crimes involving children. He would hang himself in prison in 1969. Eileen's mom abandoned Eileen and her brother and left them with their maternal grandparents, who later legally adopted them. By the time she was 11, she was trading sex, sexual acts for in exchange for like cigarettes, food, and drugs at school. Jesus Christ. 11. With, like, adults or, like... I don't know. It just said she would probably everywhere. School. Oh anywhere. It's also reported that she and her brother engaged in sexual acts, too. Eileen reported that her alcoholic grandfather had sexually assaulted and beaten her when she was a child. Before beating her, he would force her to strip out of her clothes. In 1970, at age 14, she got pregnant due to a rape of a friend of her grandfather's. Mm. Yeah, it's sick. Eileen was sexually exploited by her grandfather and her brother, which reportedly began as early as age of nine. There was a point in the documentary where a man was on the witness stand, and uh, he'd known Eileen since she was a kid. Due to that, he was also using her for sex. Oh, my God. I should say rape. Yeah. He testified publicly that he would publicly scorn her. He'd throw rocks at her and tell her to get the fuck out of there and go home. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Fuck you. Eileen gave birth to a baby at a home for unwed mothers in 1971, and that child was placed up for adoption. Holy shit. Yeah. A few months after the baby was born, she dropped out of school, and then around that same time, her grandma died of liver failure. When she was 15, her grandpa father threw her out of the house and that's when she began supporting herself with sex work living in the woods yeah yeah oh my god it's horrible so this is like trauma with a big t and you gotta think like with all the stuff that she did her history of criminal activity was robbery robbery convenience store for 35 bucks and two packs of cigarettes just getting robbing people for money and sex work she was surviving and so and just think about her childhood, how much rage and, and like anger she has. And then she made a prediction. She was totally exploited by pop culture oh, and yeah. her story. And it's like, look what she had to go through to get there. And then here we are all giddy about Charlize Theron winning an Oscar playing her. Right. And Christina Ritchie, you know, totally. It, it's she like predicted it. And I think it's hard to humanize somebody in this situation wasn't the movie called something monster it was called monster yeah yeah that right there is completely dehumanizing right there yes good job so and you gotta think like at some point it became difficult for her to distinguish like what is reality and what is my fight for survival yeah so it you know you gotta think about that she was also put to death via lethal injection. So, mm-hmm. and at that time, I don't think they had discovered how fucking painful it was mm. because they got the blood stuff wrong and you weren't actually completely out. Right. You're just paralyzed and feeling everything. Of course, that your brain's been killing you. Yep. 
So her body, Eileen Warno's body was cremated and her ashes were spread beneath a tree in her native Michigan by her childhood friend, Don Botkins. Mm-hmm. Eileen requested that Natalie Merchant's song Carnival be played at her funeral. Oh, yeah. Love it. And Natalie Merchant actually commented on that when she was asked why she allowed it to be played. And she said, like, apparently that album, like Eileen was listening to it all the time. And it, like, really helped, like, get her through. Mm. And she said, why wouldn't I allow someone, if that album had an impact, why wouldn't I allow them to play it, you know? So Eileen Warno's Life and Death of a Serial Killer by Nick Broomfield. It it was good. Watch it. It's, like, 45 minutes long. Yeah. Um, But that's where I got a lot of the information. So there you go. Eileen Warno's. Damn. I knew one of us was going to end up doing her. That one was a heavy one for me. That's a big one. Yeah. So... I mean, six people, that's... Yeah, one of them a rodeo worker, the other Mm -hmm. a sausage slinger. Yep. And we don't know what the other ones were. No. (laughs) Electronics store and a construction worker, retired merchant seaman. Seaman. Damn. Yeah, and then she got married at some point to a president of a yacht club, but it got annulled, annulled that same year because she was violent. And abusive. Yeah, she had a lot of fucking rage, man. Okay, so let's go to Live Oak Springs, California, which is like a remote area in California. Irene Melanie May, who's 23 years old and mother of three. She's a compulsive consumer of methamphetamine. She doesn't have a home, so she doesn't have custody of those children. In 1988, she was living in the home of Carrie Lynn Dalton, also a drug addict. Dalton is described as an irascible, destructive woman, a character trait further emphasized by the use of drugs. Uh, She has a boyfriend, Mark Lee Tompkins, also consumed by the use of various drugs, mostly meth. Mostly meth. (laughs) Uh, Dalton is arrested for possession of drugs. Irene May, at this point, sees an opportunity. She squanders her money on drugs she starts selling her shit. Her, she starts selling her belongings. And then she also, like, goes around Carrie Lynn's house and starts selling her stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Carrie Lynn gets out of prison, comes home. Her shit's missing, and she's fucking pissed. And so here's... She comes home, house is empty. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'd be pissed, too. So allegedly, big old bold letters, all caps... On June 26, 1988, Carrie Lynn Dalton staged the crime that would open the doors of the death row. Irene May tries to deny the facts, the sale of Dalton's assets, but Carrie Lynn supposedly doesn't believe her. So, allegedly, Irene May is forced into a chair and repeatedly tortured. Uh, Mark Lee Tompkins, Carrie Lynn's omnipresent boyfriend's there. A friend of hers, Sherry Lynn Baker, and a third man known only by the name of George. Irene May is sadistically tortured for hours, first with electricity, then with a metal frying pan on her head and other parts of her body until the bones fracture. Mm. Then Carrie Lynn leaves for a minute, leaving Irene in the hands of the other three torturers. And when she comes back to the victim, she has a syringe in her hand containing acid from the car battery. Ugh. Every time I... Ugh. Oh. Gross. Ouch. A painful and poisonous injection then given to her. Mark kills Irene for good, stabs her in the th- throat, and ends her life. Wow. So, 
Life goes on. Uh, now, fast forward, 1992. Someone, we don't know who, someone, some anonymous person went forward to the police saying Carrie Lynn and three others were bragging about the torture and murder of Irene. On May 14th, 1992, Carrie Lynn Dalton was arrested. Cheryl Ann Baker was arrested and sentenced to 15 years imprisonment for murder in the second degree. Mark Lee Tompkins is sentenced to 25 years in prison for first-degree murder, and Carrie Lynn Dalton was found guilty of first-degree murder. On May 23, 1995, she's sentenced to death by lethal injection. Carrie Lynn Dalton has always professed she's innocent. She refused to take plea bargains in exchange for mm. guilty pleas. But guess what? Police don't have a body. They never found a body of Irene May. So we don't even know if she's actually dead. So how could you can't charge someone this, with murder? So, right. This woman who is sort of on the outskirts of society, you know, on the fringes, homeless, into drugs. Who who knows what the, where the fuck she went? And no one's keeping track of her. So, no. like, did they really right. look for her? Exactly. There's no way to track. Right. So there's no weapons of crime. There's no crime scene. There's no death certificates. So the, it was the big allegedly police made it up. Right. Supposedly someone came forward and said that these three were bragging about it. So if we learned anything from Eileen Warno, she was never charged for the murder of yeah, isn't number that funny? six. Because they didn't have a body. Because they didn't have a body. Yeah, you never hear about anyone being charged. The fact that all three of these people have been sent to prison or the uh, death row and there's no body, like that's... How do they know the someone fuck? died? Exactly. Like that's not... You can't do that. Like most detectives can't even get an arrest warrant if there's no body. So what the fuck? Wow. Like unless there's like fucking blood everywhere and it's like, oh shit, this person died here. This is a yeah. lot of blood. Here's a weapon whatever wow like i said there's there's no evidence that she's dead research which covers a deliberately extended period of time from 1905 to 2017 didn't lead to any results and it just seems like she never existed well, was that her real name <laughs> well and that's the unfortunate thing about you know folks who live a lifestyle where you don't have a home and you do resort to drugs to cope with things and then eventually you need the drugs because it's easier. It it sucks to detox on the streets. And like you said earlier, there's no way to track people. Mm -hmm. So how do you know, one, this person existed? Two, did anyone report her missing? And three, there's no body. So right. I don't know. I kind of um, pulled three out of my ass. but <laughs> The body, according to testimonies and investigated suppositions, the body was first torn to pieces by Tompkins and George then disposed of by the two men within an Indian reserve so that it can no longer be found. Even one of the victim's husbands refused to cooperate with the authorities, claiming, among other things, to have seen the woman again a few months after the alleged murder. What? Yes. Wait, victims, like, who's... It's Irene's husband, her ex-husband. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was like, no, I just fucking saw her. Gotcha. The alleged victim, because we don't yeah. know where she's at. Wow. On February 14th, 1995, on the sixth day of Dalton's trial, the presiding judge, Thomas J. Wellen, made this statement. I think the record is clear that no body has ever been found in this case. The record is equally clear that there is circumstantial evidence and that there was a homicide. There is also conflicting circumstantial evidence that it may not be a homicide. In fact, she may still be alive. He went on to say... 
My reason for making these statements is to establish for the record that in my mind, corpus is a legitimate issue in this case. It's not a ruse that there is a legitimate issue before the jury as to whether or not there's a corpus of homicide that has been established. And so in response to a question from the prosecutor and an objection from the defense, the judge said, Ladies and gentlemen, in the last question Mr. Dusick asked, he mentioned the Melanie May, because she also went by Melanie. That's what I was going to mm-hmm. say. So that's another thing why she would be hard to find. Yeah. What is her real name? In this case is deceased. That's a fact for you to decide. It's inappropriate for him to put that in question, whether or not Miss May is in fact deceased or not, because that's something for you to decide. So the alleged confessions from Miss Dalton in regards to the murder of Miss May are solely based on prosecutors, investigator Richard Cooksey, repeating hearsay. There's no record of any confession coming from Carrie or any of these people. Dalton accused prosecutor Jeff Dusick of purposeful misconduct. The thing that makes me the most mad is that he's lying and he knows he's lying, she said at the trial. The jury's foreman, John Castleman, said they based the verdict of death on the type of murder it was. Although there was no physical evidence to support the prosecution's story that there was even a murder. Yeah. So pages from the California Supreme Court after reviewing the automatic appeal, which is the first stage of appeals for people who are condemned uh, in California specifically. They might call it something else in other states. At first glance, it seems Carolyn Dalton has had her sentence reduced to 25 to life. However, as you read the justices list, the fact is Carolyn remains under the third count conviction for murder, qualifying her to the death sentence. Wow. Which was imposed by the trial jury. The justices state, we vacate as unauthorized the death sentence imposed on the conspiracy to murder. We further vacate the lying in wait special circumstances true finding. The justices found no facts supporting either of these charges. They finish, we affirm the judgment as modified in all other respects, which is confusing to everyone, even with Oklahoma State Police. uh, Wait, I mean, Oklahoma. Damn it. I forgot what the acronym is. O-S-P-D. I wrote it somewhere. Fuck. (laughs) It's confusing to everyone, even this activist group who's representing her. Bottom line is justice has removed two of the three counts against Carrie Lynn. The third one still qualifies her for the death penalty, and so she remains on death row fighting for her life. And her case is now at the state habeas corpus level so that if the justices chose to send her back to the original court in san diego to have the court review their own work of the trial back in 1995 which is a new situation for california a result of proposition 66 they have the option of sending cases to their county of origin the habeas review is meant to include all information evidences findings reports opinions etc having any bearing on this case and or trial at this point the san diego court has received all the same documents from the automatic appeal as the activist groups file hmm. as far as we can determine there's no forensics report for the defense A professional forensics expert can evaluate the evidence and create a factual report with a theory as to whether or not accusations line up with facts in this case where there are no forensics at all. A professional expert report would be a light on the situation. 
How does this alleged type of murder or any murder occur without leaving any evidence behind? Like there was well, no fucking blood. Well, there's not even a body. There's uh, nothing indicating any of the shit happened. Yeah. Like, how do they know someone was injected with battery acid? Exactly. And even the judge was saying that, but it was a jury that chose to convict her of not guilty. And it's like... Of guilty? You, God damn it. Guilty. <laughs> I like really I just confused. fucking said. <laughs> she is on death row. Wow. And it's like, especially like, these are accusations that involve four meth addicts. Right. So the jury claimed they convicted based on the type of crime this was, where, but, like, where is evidence of any fucking crime? There isn't any. So, remember, Judge Thomas J. Wellen told the jury the prosecutor could not use terms murder or victim. He said the juries would be deciding if there was a crime. Which is like, how do, how do you do that during a capital murder trial? So, hopefully during her appeal, I'm they're speechless. like... Wow. Uh, fuck this. And it gets thrown out. But she's been there since 1995. That's what? 24 years? Damn. Oh, my God. That's horrible. Yeah. Like, they just made up this completely horrible fucking crime. Just to arrest crime. somebody. Like, it was a bet. Hey, I bet we can we can pin a murder that didn't happen on these three people. Yeah, if you just make it as, like, gross as Maybe just pack it with details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was a fucking episode of some ID show, Deadly Women. And it was... Horribly acted, terrible wigs, really weird, screamy, yelly, inner, like, dramatizations, uh, uh, reenactments, yeah. And it was just, like, these prosecutors and, like, quote, experts and, like, all these commentators just, like, describing this horrible case all dramatically and then they show the fucking reenactments and it's just like really i'm just like you don't know if any of this happened the whole time i was just like wow and they're like she's evil she's a monster it's like you don't know if anything happened though dude you have no evidence to base anything how do you fucking have a capital trial with nobody in california it's crazy yeah wow so um anyway (laughs) this might Lighten the mood a little. A group of furries stopped a domestic violence assault and helped police make the arrest. Amen for furries. <laughs> Several members attending a furry convention in, Se- in California helped restrain a man who was assaulting his girlfriend. Wow. Six people witnessed the assault at the annual furry convention or furcon in san jose which if you don't know furries are enthusiasts who celebrate characters and stories involving anthropomorphic animals or fictitious characters who like have human traits they said the man was assaulting a woman in a car robbie ryans was working as a dj for the convention when he and a friend went outside for a smoke break ryan said a blue car stopped in front of them out of nowhere, when he heard a woman screaming coming from inside and saw the passengers throwing full fists at whoever was driving. <gasps> Holy shit. Driving. We got up and ran towards the car. My friend pulled open the door and we both held on to the attacker. The girl driver was yelling for him to get out as he started trying to fight us off. Four other people who were attending the conviction joined in and helped grab the man, drag him out of the car, and restrain him until police arrived. Wow. Ryan said once he felt... The situation was under control. He backed up and began filming the incident. Imagine, dude. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so when police arrive, attendees accuse the suspect, 22-year-old Dimitri Hardnett, 
assaulting for assaulting his girlfriend. Someone said, it all happened so fast. I still can't believe it. I'm so glad everything worked out in the end. It was a horrible sight to see. Afterward, we were very shaken up, but relieved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just imagine that. Here's the video. The scene of furries running up, pulling a guy out of the car. Well, here's the picture, at least. Love it. And a not-so-wonderful headline. Have you been keeping up with Rachel Henry, the woman that was just arrested for killing her three babies? Whoa. Yeah, she was arrested yesterday. Where? Uh, here we go. Wait, maybe I just saw that. Three children. This oh, is no. from True Crime Society. Three children aged three, two, and seven months have been found dead in a Phoenix home. Online rumors were swirling and people were speculating there had been a carbon monoxide accident. Until their mother came clean, Rachel Henry, 22, has admitted to murdering her three children. Shit. They show a mugshot of her and she does not look. Oh. Oh. Like what happened? Yeah. I think she'll get a... Well, there's a stay on... Capital punishment right now, but yeah. otherwise, I think they yeah would convict she's her. She's in Arizona, so mm-hmm. for sure she would have. This would have been a capital case. Yeah, so I'm gonna kind of follow ups like updates and stuff. It's just it's like what happened? She's 22. Yeah, has a three year old, a two year old, and a seven month old. Oh my god! Here she's up another picture of her. Oh. Like what happened? Whoa! There's an affidavit of online of detailing what happened so i don't know if i'm gonna read it but yeah like look at her <laughs> oh my gosh okay let me name my sources really quick so oh. one of them was the book cages by victoria thorpe who is carolyn's sister oh wow and then the book i mean sorry the article hearing told of suspects violence boasts the san diego union true tribune by ann kruger and also in the Union Tribune by Leslie Wolf, jury recommends death penalty in one torture sling. Mm, good sources. And I also got some from court documents. Those court documents are lengthy, but oh. they're packed with like the info. Yeah. Hopefully accurate, but it doesn't sound like that had any accurate no. info in it at all. It was all made up. Yeah. Yesterday. A coworker brought me Starbucks because she left her purse at the office and I took it home so it was safe and then brought it back. And oh, yeah. She asked me my Starbucks order. And so this is where I'm coming. Like, I'm very paranoid recently. I don't know why. Maybe it's sweet. But <laughs> it was like a the tall almond milk latte. Like, that's what I get. It was good. And then I took a sip and I was like, this isn't almond milk latte. And I look at the sleeve and it said caramel macchiato. Oh, shit. And this is the same lady that was giving me shit for cleaning in the kitchen. So I'm like, what oh. does she have against me? And so, like, we only small talk. Like, she's pretty standoffish, not social, really. But, you know, I say hey. So I see her in the kitchen, and she's heating up her coffee from Starbucks. And she goes, they never make it hot enough. And I told her, you can order it extra hot, and they'll make it steamier for you. And then I like, order it warm. <laughs> warm, like baby <laughs> temperature. Yeah, kids temperature. <laughs> kids temp. So, like, maybe 10 minutes later, she comes in. Hey, Amanda, I just realized they gave me yours in this size. And then that's actually the caramel macchiato. They had switched the sizes in the drinks. Luckily, I only took that one drink. So I was like, the sugar in this will, like, freaking kill my asshole. Right. And (laughs) 
so we switched, and then I was like, hmm, this is fishy. Yeah, damn it. But it was nice. It was a nice gesture. But I had After a super she pain. Made it one. extra hot. After she made it extra hot <laughs> in the microwave. I watched the Aaron Hernandez Netflix series. What'd you think? Honestly, once they were like, I think it was still the first episode when they talked about his like early childhood and adolescence head injuries. Yes. And then in college and then throughout the NFL. And before they even started talking about the second one, I was like, CTE. He had a traumatic brain injury repeated. And when they got a hold of his brain to did that research, they said it was the worst case of CTE they had ever seen. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it was intense. Yeah, he had no executive. No. Free frontal cortex gone, mm. which is really, really sad. Yes. Uh, doesn't excuse his actions. Hell no. Hell no. Gosh. Odin's mother, I know. like, oh, just broke broke my heart and like his family and, and it the, ripped apart the sisters yes she so stuck insane. by i know i watched end of the fucking world which i need to watch this it was good it was a lot different than i thought it was gonna be yeah it's good it was cute. Is it on netflix good acting yeah all right i watched the circle really started watching the circle. i was like mm, this was a corny it's corny but i like it it's entertaining i started spinning out the ice skating show oh, on Netflix. Is it good? Yeah, it is. Spinning out. It has, I don't remember her fucking real name, but it's Betty Draper. Oh, January Jones? January Jones. How did I forget? Love She's her. the mom in the show. Okay. It's good. Okay. And she is not who she usually play, plays. She's a fucking shitty mom. She's an asshole. Well, she has bipolar disorder. She's a great actress. Yeah. I love January Jones. Yeah, they do a good job of talking about mental health and, like, medication and stuff like that. So far, I'm, like, four episodes in. Good. That's good. That's positive. Mm -hmm. Positive, positive. Yeah. And then, uh, back in school. Back to school. To prove to daddy I'm not a fool. (laughs) Oh, we could keep going on, but I don't know if we get sued. Not much going on here. I just forgot what I was going to say again. Dang it. I don't have much of a life. Well, shout out to anyone who has class with me if you're listening to this since I totally plugged in class. (gasps) That's awesome that you have, like, a... It was so funny. Like, everyone in there, like... Not everybody, but a lot of people were going around. I've been listening to podcasts or like watching Netflix documentaries. Like, fuck yeah, yeah, we're in here. And there's always those people that eye roll. Ugh, <laughs> I didn't see any. Good. I also don't pay attention. So, <laughs> fucking the heaters. Like, so, thank you so much for, for listening. listening. Fuck yeah, go Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Fuck yeah. Please remember to rate and review. Check us out on social media. One of death row podcast.com. One of death row on Twitter. One of death row podcast on Instagram. And then women of death row podcast on Facebook. Yep. Is that it? Sweet. Cool. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.